0: Devoid of Space is a space horror anthology. The contents of these episodes may not be for everyone, so please listen with care. This episode contains the following content warnings. Obsession, delusion, death by heat, off-screen sex, brief sounds of burning flesh, and hand trauma.
1: jump complete. Drift was minimal, we're in a stable orbit, just over 3 AU from the star Helvatius, and sitting pretty.
2: Good. We're going quiet. Kill the sublight engines. Killing the sublights. Minka, Ema, good work. Sarah, anyone out here with us?
3: Working on it. I've got the star and the planet on the scope, but identifying anything smaller when I'm limited to passive sensors will take a minute. Cyril? Can't make the speed of light any faster, ma'am. We can either bring up the gravitics and risk being spotted, or you can give me a few- Wait, hang on. I'm seeing... Looks like either a small station or a single ship, sitting on the planet's L2 Lagrange point.
2: Transmitting an ID?
3: Doesn't look like it, though I'd have to ping them to be sure. And we
2: can't do that without announcing our presence. What do you think, Vega?
4: Here at the edge of Terran-controlled space? Could be someone else who's looking to lie low. Wildcat mining platform, maybe. Or an unlicensed trader. But? But, given our luck on this run so far, it's probably a Terran patrol cruiser staking out the system for smugglers.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Any way to know for sure?
3: If they are a patrol ship, their passive sensors are probably a lot better than the torches. Even with the engines off, we're still a heck of a lot hotter than empty space, so either they're going to be spotting us any minute, or... <sighs> Incoming Type beam transmission from the other vessel. Damn, that was quick.
4: With the light speed lag factored in? Near instant. They saw us as soon as we jumped in. Shit. What's
3: in it? Looks like it's audio only. Hang on.
4: Unknown vessel, this is the Terran Union patrol vessel, ESS Hayek. Please establish a QCOM connection to the transponder code included at the end of this transmission to enable real-time communication so we can ensure you have a safe and pleasant journey into Terran Union space as your engines went offline shortly after you arrived in the 51st Pegasi star system. If you do not establish a QCOM connection with us within the next ten Earth-standard minutes, we will assume your ship is in distress and move in to assist you. They'll move in to assist us, huh? How kind of them? Fucking pigs.
2: Fucking pigs. Options?
4: Pretty much all bad ones. Option one, we pretend we're good little traders, taking the scenic route into Terran space.
3: They won't buy it, not unless they're massive idiots and idiots are not, but likely demand to search the torch anyway because it's protocol.
1: And because they're bored and think harassment is fun.
3: And because they're bored and think harassment is fun. They board us, find the twenty tons of unlicensed precursors we're carrying, then arrest us for smuggling and haul us off to spend twenty-two years breaking rocks on Proxima B.
4: Right, so, option two... We dump the cargo, play nice, then try to pick it up after.
2: Try being the operative word there.
4: Exactly. If they don't pick up the cargo containers on scan, if the bio precursors don't get ruined by the vacuum or radiation, and if the Hayek doesn't decide to sit on us until we jump out to make sure we don't do anything suspicious, it might work. Any one of those ifs doesn't happen... And we're either out a quarter million credits apiece, or we're back to breaking those rocks on Proxima B. Option three. We run like hell. Jump away before they can board us.
1: Not happening. Not so soon after jumping into the system. Our
3: caps are dry.
4: I know. Just going down the list.
3: We can't bypass the capacitors? Run the jump drive directly off the reactor core?
4: We could do that,
1: second Lieutenant Gross. But since the Torch is a long haul freighter and not a military vessel with a mil spec fusion torus, that jump would get us about five AU tops.
3: All right. Yeah. Point taken.
1: And since the Von Mises or the Rothbard or whatever the hell that asshole said their ship's name was is a military vessel with a mil spec fusion torus. Yeah,
3: okay. I get it.
1: They'll be able to match us, jump for jump, right up until they get lucky enough to put an x-ray laser through our drive core, at which point we either explode, or we get boarded, arrested, and sing it to me if you know the words, Go break rocks on Proxima B.
4: Alright, Ema, lay off the new guy. The upshot is that, since we are a long-haul vessel, our capacitor banks are probably substantially larger than theirs, so that full charge, we'd probably outrange even their deep-field sensor equipment by an order of magnitude.
1: Which means that all we need to do to get away is play keep-away-with-the-Terrans in a star system with a grand total of one star and one planet for the next. Hey, Minka, how long are we looking at for a full charge on the caps?
5: Roughly 50 hours, give or take. And is there a good reason you can't use the intercom?
1: Not a good reason, no. We just have to play keep away with the Terrans for the next 50 hours. And we can get away no problem. Oh except we have to do it entirely with sublight engines which unlike the trusty jump drive are subject to those pesky laws of physics we all love so much mass thrust inertia that stuff so as soon as they see how big the torch's torch is they not only know where we are they know the maximum distance we can possibly be from that place at any point in the future so
3: lock us down so on so on we're
2: breaking rocks
1: Starting to look like all roads lead to Proxima B.
2: All except one, maybe.
4: You think it's time to try it?
2: I think it's time to try it. Try what?
4: Guess it had to happen someday.
2: It is why we bought the Torch of Knowledge in the first place.
4: It's why you bought the torch. I wanted to get one of those alpaca-class freight haulers, not a research ship we had to retrofit.
2: Yeah, but an alpaca can't do this... Okay, folks, we're only gonna have one shot at getting this right, but this is what the torch was designed to do, and I have faith in you and your abilities. Minka, get us ready for an in-system jump, then bring all the primary, secondary, and auxiliary magnetic shielding envelopes online. All of them? All of them. Ema, I need you to plot us a jump to these orbital coordinates. The inclination isn't important, but we're not going to be able to use the sublights to compensate if we come out going too fast or too slow, so triple-check your figures. Oh, shit. Okay, sure.
1: That's technically in orbit. S- sort of. Sure.
2: We're actually doing it. Oh, shit. But doing what? So, Vega, dump any spare coolant we have through the drive enclosure and then flush it out into space. Got it. Serral. Get on the environment panel. I need you to do the same with our atmosphere. Dump about half our air, then up the O2 to compensate for the low pressure.
4: Why? Ideal gas law. Keep the volume the same, but drop the pressure. Temperature's gonna drop too.
2: While you're at it, kill the heaters, and do anything else you can think of to get heat out of this ship in the next 45 seconds or so. You want me to run down to the mess and space the coffee pot? (laughs) I need you focused on not killing us all when we make the jump. Otherwise, hell, I'd say go for it.
3: Flushing ammo now, but... What are we doing? If we can't fool them, fight them, or outrun them, what's left?
2: We can hide.
3: All due respect, sir, but no, we can't. Rule one of space warfare is that there's no such thing as a stealth spaceship. No matter what you do or how much shielding you have, you're always hotter than the microwave background radiation. So, if the enemy is looking for you, they'll always be able to see you eventually. Unless
1: we're really, really close to something much hotter than we are.
3: But there's nothing in the star system to get close to! just a single gas giant orbiting a... Oh,
5: shit. Jump drive is ready and the mag shielding is all online.
4: Confirmed. Coolant's been flushed too. Oh,
5: shit.
1: Jumps plotted, calculations are all punched in, and the math is solid.
3: Oh,
4: shit.
3: Uh, <clears throat> Atmospheric pressure is down to 52%. O2 mix has been up to 40% to compensate.
4: Getting pretty chilly in here.
2: Good. That's enough. Okay, folks. Full power to mag shielding, jumping on my mark. Three, two, one. Mark.
1: Ah, god.
4: God. Mm. Oh my god! Oh, god. god. Oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. Oh
3: fuck my eyes. Going to set viewport opacity.
4: Cyril, Mag shielding should be blocking out 99.99% of the stellar radiation. But damn, that 0.01% is still a hell of a thing.
1: Mag shielding must be doing
5: its job, though, given we're still here to complain about it. Confirmed on that. Best I can tell, it's holding steady for now. Almost nothing getting in and with the light pressure outside the mag envelope, there's definitely nothing getting out. God, look at that, though.
3: I uh, polarized the viewports to 1% transmission, so between that and the envelope, this should be point zero 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 one percent intensity. Still hurts my eyes a little.
2: Hmm. What a view, though. Gold white fire below the horizon, angry red sky above, streamers of plasma wreathing up from the one to touch the other. Incredible...
4: It is that.
3: How close to the star are we, exactly? Close enough to be in the corona?
1: Nah, way too hot in a star's corona to park a ship there. Even the
3: torch. We'd get burned up in minutes. Oh, sure. i surprised the star fills up so much of the sky, though, if we're not that close. Why are you greeting me like that? Why is she grinning at me like that?
1: Because we're under the corona. In the
3: chromosphere. Under the... you mean we're INSIDE the star?
0: Mm-hmm.
4: No, we're not INSIDE the star. Not exactly. We're sort of... on the star. In the star's lower atmosphere. Sort of. What? Well,
2: why Because there's no way the Hayek will think to look for us here. And even if they did, they wouldn't be able to spot our heat signature through the corona. And because in a main series star like this one, the chromosphere is only about 4,000 degrees Kelvin, while the photosphere below us is 8,000 degrees, and the corona above us is 35,000. It's still hot as hell, but survivable, at least for a few days. And a few days is all we should need. Speaking of, how long is it going to take to charge the caps to full power and jump out of here? Uh, with the added power draw from the mag
5: envelopes? Maybe 60? 65 hours? Maybe a few minutes faster if we disable non-essential computer systems and stick to emergency lighting. probably not worth
2: it for the power savings. Well, it might be for the heat. After all, we're... We're... uh... Captain? Hmm? Oh, Oh, uh, sorry. I just... Oh, nothing. Never mind. <clears throat> <clears throat> Alright, everyone. Again, good work. We're not going anywhere or doing much of anything for the next 60 hours, so we're on downtime duty rotations until then. I'm not going to tell you not to use your terminals or whatever, but keep everything you're not using turned off. Making and using power both generate heat. And until we jump out of here, every single joule of heat we make has nowhere to go but back into the ship. I know it's chilly now, but with the reactor running at full power, it's going to get plenty warm before those 60 hours are up. Let's not help the process along. Okay, go do what you're going to do. I'll be in my cabin if you need me.
5: Not it. Not it. Not it.
3: Not it. Oh, damn it.
5: You're learning, though. Didn't bother to ask, so who takes the first watch this time? You'll get it eventually, Lieutenant. Come on, Minx. Let's go do
4: some stuff. Enjoy first watch.
3: Yeah. Thanks, man. settle in, I guess. Ma'am?
4: Sarah, uh, something wrong?
3: Oh, uh, no. No, ma'am. Everything's nominal or as nominal as it's going to get while we're parked here.
4: Uh, okay, good, good. That mean it's time for my watch, then?
3: Uh, no, ma'am. I'm still on for an hour or so, just came down to use the head and grab some water. Thought I'd say hey. <coughs> oh. hey.
4: Hey, Cyril. You doing okay?
3: Well, as can be expected, I guess. A little on edge.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think we all are
3: that a paper book?
4: It is. I've got a handful I keep around. Some old classics. Jemison, Vandermeer, Le Guin. Got them cheap off a client who deals in late pre-union rarities. Said they were too beat up to be worth anything, but they read just fine. Come in handy for passing the time. Want to borrow one?
3: Nah, no, I'm good with my terminal. Got a backlog of Xeno and other shit I'm still catching back up on after... Are they still?
4: Mm-hmm. We'll probably see them around 1800. Yima's got the watch after mine, and Minka will want to eat something and check on the <laughs> reactor.
3: I don't really get a... Then... Their relationship, I mean.
4: Relationship's probably a strong word for it. It's... Convenience. Pressure release. One of those, I was there, they were there, we were inside a star, what were we gonna do, not fuck, kind of arrangements? <laughs> Why the interest? You getting a crush on Minka?
3: No, I- I- I like your fine, but not really. Oh. On Yima, then? Oh, fuck no. I definitely don't get the attraction of the whole manic pixie space pirate thing. Never did. I really wish she'd stop bringing up my rank. She knows I resigned my fucking commission.
4: Says the guy who can't make himself stop calling me ma'am, even though I mustered out a good five years before he even joined up.
3: Sorry, ma'am. Sorry.
4: Mm, Don't sweat it too hard. I get it. Breaking the habit's difficult. Just don't start calling me Commander Kedvetch. But that's just how Yima is. She's a button pusher. That's how she gets to know people. She knows this particular button will get a reaction out of you, so she's going to keep pushing it until it doesn't work anymore. Or until you start pushing back, at which point you either become bitter rivals, or you start fucking. Or both.
3: <laughs> oh, please, no. I'm still getting used to not having to ask for permission to speak freely. I don't need to make my situation any more complicated to navigate.
4: <laughs> you do seem to be getting used to it, though. Did a good job of speaking up after we jumped into the system. <laughs>
3: Thanks. I'll admit I was a little worried about that. It's just tough getting a read on the captain. Sometimes it seems like they value my input, and sometimes it seems like they barely remember I exist.
4: Try not to take that too personally. The captain's just particular. Got a real focus streak and a way of acting towards people that doesn't always mesh. They kept an eye on you when you first joined the crew because they needed to know if you knew what you were doing. At this point, you've proved you're competent and capable. To their way of thinking, that means they don't need to keep an eye on you anymore. So they don't. Which, if you're used to a CO who hands out frequent and regular reviews like TU Navy Officers' Manual says that you should, that can feel like a bit of a cold shoulder. But coming from Captain Nihilus Holmes, that's high praise.
3: So they're not, like, pissed at me or anything?
4: If they were, I'd be hearing about it from them, and you'd be hearing about it from me. Like I said, don't sweat it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll stop sweating when we're not in danger of getting instantly atomized. Uh, thanks, man. <clears throat> thanks, Sol Vega.
4: Anytime, Cyril. You'll be all right, kid. Well, I'll be all right. <coughs>
1: Homes. You alive in there?
2: <clears> hmm? <throat> oh. Uh, come in.
1: Oof. Oh, wow. Uh, right in here. What do you have the viewport set to? 95%
2: opaque, I think. Uh, 94 Excuse me. Still not much brighter than a summer day on Terra. Your eyes adjust.
1: I'll have to take your word for it. Never put foot to dirt myself. Oh, uh, you are very shirtless, Captain. But that's fine. Not making it weird. Uh, hey, my turns out my eyes did adjust. Neat.
2: Was there something you needed? Uh,
1: no. Yes? Uh, Sylvega <laughs> just asked me to check in on you before I start my watch, since you didn't come down to mess at 1800. See if you'd eaten, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. Can I get you something? Something to eat, I mean? The stew packets we picked up on the station of Travis-1F are, well, pretty terrible at room temperature. But if you eat it with some chips, it's not that bad. Oh, and, um, Cyril shredded up a couple of those extruded protein bricks and made some honestly pretty convincing seafood salad. If he doesn't work out as our in sensors guy, we might want to just keep him on as a ship cook. Or... There's crunchy ramen, maybe?
2: No, Ima, I'm fine. Thank you. Okay.
1: I'll tell Sylvega I tried. So, you're just sitting here, looking out at the star. Star Star-watching? Hmm. And that's fun? For you?
2: Not fun, not exactly, but it's nice. Nice? The light, it feels nice. The touch of sunlight on skin, on retinas... Part of it's just, it's a hell of a lot more vitamin D and serotonin than you get from the shipboard full spectrum lights, but it's not just that. Folks like us, we love our lives in the dark in the empty black between the stars, but humanity spent something like 300,000 years on Terra before we ever went into space, living in the light of a star just like this one. I know evolutionary determinist or anything like that, but... But 300,000 years seems like a heck of a long time to spend developing a habit. You can't really expect we'd entirely break it in just a couple of hundred.
1: So, it's nice, is what you're saying.
2: (laughs) Yes, that is what I'm saying. Sorry, I... Well, you know, I get sometimes.
1: Yeah, I'm used to it. I do have to admit, though, those big, loopy plasma things. The
2: prominences?
1: Right, right, the prominences. They are very pretty. The way they move and twist around the magnetic envelope. Almost looks like they're dancing.
2: It does, doesn't it? Almost like like they're alive <clears throat> uh, you can tell Solveg I'm alright and I'll come get a ration pack in a little while uh, you said the stew was decent at room temperature
1: eh, sure close enough I'll let her know
2: thanks Emma. Almost like they're dancing.
5: good you're here
3: of course what's going on
5: something something odd something I'm not entirely sure I understand
3: uh something going on with the ship
5: of course what other kind of something would I be talking about oh uh no it's I mean I I like you well enough you're reasonably attractive but no
3: no that that's fine I feel exactly the same way So this is... Something going on
5: with the ship, yes.
3: Right, okay. What kind of something?
5: That's what I'm hoping you can help me figure out.
3: Well... You definitely know the Torchner systems better than I do, but I'll do what I can. Walk me through the issue, I guess? Sure.
5: Alright, when we jumped into the chromosphere, I ran some quick calculations on our thermal situation. Starting at an internal temperature around 10 degrees Celsius... 60 hours to charge the drive. As long as the temperature doesn't rise by more than half a degree or so each hour, we'll be fine.
3: 40 degrees Celsius isn't exactly comfortable, but yeah, survive.
5: And when I checked our internals at 1800 yesterday, we were just under that. But sometime between then and now, it's... it's jumped up. How much? That depends on when it started, which is one of the... I'm having trouble with because well, there was a system reboot about an hour ago, it looks like it wiped the system history for the last six hours. If whatever changed was near the beginning of those six hours, we're looking at 0.6, maybe 0.7 degrees Celsius per hour rather than 0.5. If it happened just before the reboot,
3: one and a half per hour. If not two. Shit. Yeah... We'll cook to death inside of fifteen hours at that rate, let alone the forty more we need.
4: I don't mean to interrupt, but when I overhear the phrase, We'll cook to death, I feel like I need to join the conversation. Something I need to know?
5: There almost certainly is, yes. I just wanted to make sure I knew what that thing is before I brought it to you and the captain.
3: Our rate of temperature increase has gone up, maybe way up. Currently, we don't know why or when it started, A Computer Restart wiped the logs since we don't know the when, we also don't know how much it's gone up unless we want to wait around for more data points. And if it's as bad as it could be, we probably don't want to wait.
4: That about sum it up?
5: That's the current state of things, yeah.
4: And the worst case, it's bad?
5: If we can't find and correct the issue, even the best case is bad. The worst case is just bad sooner.
4: <sighs> okay. Okay. We can't know how bad it is without waiting around or wasting time. Assume the worst and move on. Where's the extra heat coming from? See, that's the
5: other thing I'm having trouble figuring out. If one of the ship's systems were producing more heat than before, I'd expect it to also be drawing more power. But the draw on the reactor has been more or less consistent.
4: If the source isn't electrical, then what?
5: Anything else I could think of that makes make this make of a difference, we'd have noticed that's a bio precursor and the hold haven't spontaneously gone wildly exothermic. we don't have chemically propelled weapon systems that could start cooking off nothing aboard is literally on fire
4: so the heat's not coming from inside the ship not as
3: far as I can tell well then it has to be coming in from outside right right
4: except that shouldn't be possible i thought you said before that there was almost nothing getting in I did yes
5: but that should that should be a steady trickle There shouldn't be a way for it to fail like this.
4: No way that whatever happened to the computers also affected the magnetic envelope? Look, It's not that there's no chance it would have
5: failed. It's that there shouldn't be a way for it to fail like this. The magnetic envelope has to be very carefully and deliberately tuned and calibrated. Any accidental detuning would have an extremely small chance of doing something like this, but a much larger chance of just collapsing and killing us all instantly.
3: What about... An intentional retuning. What?
4: What do you see, Cyril?
3: I was curious about how the envelope works, so during my watch, I downloaded your original configuration settings to my terminal, just to look them over, and this is how you originally had the envelope configured. This is how it's configured now.
5: What? What the hell? Minka? He's right. It's... It's been recalibrated to make the envelope narrower. To let more energy from the star bleed in without collapsing entirely.
4: And this isn't something that could have occurred by accident? I mean, maybe.
5: But it's damn unlikely. This isn't my configuration drifting out of true. This is a different configuration entirely. Like like tuning a guitar to a different key. It's, It's still harmony. It's not
4: my harmony. So, then, this is... This is something someone did to the ship. Something one of us did to the ship.
3: It's the only explanation that makes sense.
4: But it doesn't make sense.
5: Whoever did this would be killing themselves, along with the rest of us.
3: It's possible they weren't trying to kill us, just force us to jump out early while we'd still be within range of the high sensors
4: feels like there'd be simpler ways of getting the law's attention, if that's what they wanted. Simpler ways to kill us, for that matter.
3: And
5: even if we accept that one of us wants everyone on the ship either arrested or dead, I was the one on watch when it happened, and there's no way I...
4: Minka?
3: No, there's no way. Minka? What is it?
5: captain they they came out of their cabin a couple of hours ago uh, offered to relieve me for half an hour if i wanted to grab a bite and some caffeine i left them alone on the bridge other than me they're the only one who had access during that time And since i know i didn't do it
3: it doesn't make sense but none of this does
5: you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains I'll
4: I'll go talk to them, see if they I'll go talk to them be I can't
5: believe I'm saying this about Nihilus Holmes of all people but be careful
4: yeah yeah Talk to you? Ah, S- us. What what are you? I can't even, I can't even
2: see Over are here, you? Vega, by the viewport. Can you
4: can you darken it for like a few minutes? I really need to talk to you. It's it's a little too bright for me.
2: I'm sorry, Vega. I really can't afford to not ready. But it's alright if you need to face away from it, I'll understand. Pull up a deck plate. We can sit back to back. Like we did in that holding cell on New Eden.
4: Not our finest hour, New Eden.
2: No, it was not. In retrospect, we probably should have realized what a sonic scanner would do to it. Cargo container full of contraband chicken eggs.
4: <laughs> the, uh, the look on Dame Carrefour's face as that wave of egg
2: goo came rolling
4: out of the container—it <laughs> was almost worth a week in the cell.
2: Almost.
4: Nihilus. Um, damn it! I, I'm not even sure how to start having this conversation. What's going on with you? Sorry? Look, I know you feel a need to get away from people sometimes. But just sitting here, alone, just you and, and that, it's, it's not exactly typical for you. It's, and I know you told Yima you're fine, but this... Nihilus, this doesn't seem fine to me.
2: <laughs> Funnily enough, it was something Yima said that showed me what I'd been missing. At first, I thought what I was feeling was just brain chemistry, just neurotransmitters and photosensitive skin cells, but then Ema said, the prominences look like they're dancing. And when I looked closer, I realized she was right. They are dancing, Vega. And not just dancing, they're singing. They're singing to me.
4: Nihilus, the prominences are just ribbons of plasma moving along the star's magnetic field. How could they possibly be singing?
2: It's in the light, Vega. They sing with light. I know that you can't sense it now that it's too bright for you. You have to work up to it. And I almost had to start over entirely after I stepped out to do some things a few hours ago, but but when I look into the light now, When I let the all-encompassing brightness wash over me, the experience of it is synesthetic. It overwhelms sight, bleeds into the other senses, becomes something I can feel and taste and hear, and what I hear is a song, a chorus of voices all singing the same looping melody In a hundred different harmonies, all with the same words. Words I'm so, so close to making out.
4: Nihilus, was one of those things you stepped out to do, modifying the ship's magnetic envelope?
2: I had to. Just for a little while. Just until I can make out the words. Just until I can hear what they're trying to tell me, and I'm so close Vega. I know I'll be able to understand them if I can only hear them a little better, if I can only see them a little clearer, if I just let them a little further in.
4: Did you also initiate a system reboot to cover up the modifications you made?
2: I did, yes. And I'll apologize to Minka for that when the time comes. But I only did it because I knew Z wouldn't understand. That Z wouldn't believe me, wouldn't give me the time I needed before Z started trying to fix the problem. Z doesn't understand just how big and strange the universe can be, not really. Not like we do. You... believe me, don't you, Vega? You understand?
4: Yes, Nihilus. I believe you.
2: I understand.
1: And you think the captain did this?
5: Intentionally?
3: Hey, Solvega.
5: What did they say?
3: What are you doing?
4: I'm... locking them in. The captain is... not currently fit for command present in their present state I believe allowing them to remain in control of this ship would place them, the ship and the rest of the crew in danger we're not the TU military we don't have ranks or protocols or shit like that but Manka you and I voted that Nyla should take the captain's chair when the three of us agreed to form this crew for the moment at least I need to change my vote
5: Okay. Yeah, uh, mine too, for the record.
1: Wait, so the captain really did try to kill us?
4: That wasn't their end goal, but... Yes.
1: Fuck. Wait, what was their end goal?
4: Doesn't matter. Not right now. What matters now is making sure we survive. Unless anyone objects, I'll assume command of the ship until... Either the captain regains the ability to do so, or... Until we decide we need a longer-term solution. Is that alright? Hmm. Of course.
1: I guess. I mean, none of this is alright. It's incredibly fucked, but if the captain is...
4: I know. Meka, can you put the envelope back to its original configuration? I know we've heated up a lot just in the last couple hours, but... If we can get our heating rate back to where it was, we might still be able to get close to a full charge before we have to jump out.
5: I can try. It's a lot harder to push the envelope out safely than it is to shrink it. A little like trying to set up a tent from the inside, but... yeah, I can try.
4: That's all I can ask. Get started. If there's any way any of us can help, ask.
5: Kind of a one-person job? Though I'd feel a lot safer if we had an emergency jump plotted, just in case I fuck it up. Emma, I'm on it. Whew. Okay, uh, beginning magnetic field adjustments.
2: Vega? Minka? What are you doing? Hear the song getting weaker. Hear what you're doing to the envelope. I thought you understood what needed to happen. I'm disappointed in you, Vega. What are they
5: talking about? I don't understand
4: it either. Keep going.
2: Don't do this, Vega. I only needed a little more time. A little more time and I can share everything with you that they're about to teach me. A little more time, and you'll be able to hear them too. Don't do this. Who the fuck are
4: they? Keep going.
2: I can't let you do this.
4: The hell? Minka, what's happening? They've got
5: some sort of remote access to the magnetic envelope system. Fuck, they're fighting me. The envelope is shrinking again. Can you push it back? I'm trying, but they've got a hell of a lot easier job than I do. It's almost all I can do to keep the envelope from collapsing entirely. If
2: you aren't going to give me the time I need to listen, I'll need to let them get closer.
4: Sarah can you lock them out?
3: Of the system they have all the command codes for? Probably not, but I can try to slow them down.
2: If I can't hear them with my eyes... Oh shit, they're
5: intentionally destabilizing the envelope. I'm pumping more power in to compensate, but I'm not sure how long I can keep this up.
4: Yima? It's pulling
5: up the drive, but
3: it's going to take 30 to 45 seconds to hit ready status. Cyril, I'm trying, but they're going around me like I'm not even connected have seen anyone operate a system like this. The field's
5: buckling, folding in just after us. We've got stellar plasma five meters from the hall.
3: Pasted in my spine. Damn it! I know one way to slow them down. Sarah, what are you doing? Whatever, I have to, ma'am.
2: What? I don't
3: know!
1: Three meters. Ready to jump in eight, seven, six. One yes, meter.
2: I hear you.
3: I hear Where... who is?
1: wake up, Sarah, honey we're at grandma's
3: oh, it's you <sighs> at least I know I'm not dead I've definitely never done anything bad enough to deserve an afterlife with you in it
1: aw, that's so sweet hey, everybody
4: Sarah's awake welcome back
3: Thanks. What happened?
4: Stellar Plasma made contact with the hull outside the captain's quarters just before we jumped. Blew out the viewports, turned everything inside to carbon and glass. Didn't breach the bulkhead. If it did, we'd all be dead. But the thermal shock created a concussion wave that hit us pretty hard. You got the worst of it where you were, right next to the hatch.
5: Must have had your hands on the hatch when it happened, too. Your palms are pretty badly burned.
3: I, uh... Yeah, I guess I must have. Yima bandaged you up. You?
1: Eh, I liked that seafood salad you made. The sooner your hands heal up, the sooner you can make me more. Plus, now you owe me a favor. Figure it's a win-win for me.
3: (laughs) Yeah, right. Well,
5: thank you. You're welcome. Okay, I should get back to it. The blown drive capacitors aren't gonna remanufacture themselves.
4: Go to it. Yima, you mind going down to the cargo bay and checking to see if there are any of those vats of bioprecursor that are worth salvaging?
1: I can do that. Lieutenant probably doesn't need a babysitter now that he's awake. It looked pretty scorched in there when I poked my head in yesterday, but I'll give it a closer look. It would be really nice not to have to deal with all this and also be completely broke.
4: Thanks. Seryl, come find me on the bridge when you're ready for some light-duty work. We're out in the middle black, fairway from Helvatius. And so far, it doesn't seem like the Hayek is out there looking for us. But I'd appreciate a better pair of eyes on the sensors.
3: Will do. Sylvega, could you hang on a sec?
4: Sure, Seryl. What's up?
3: I'm trying to make what Minka said about what happened fit with what I remember, and... Maybe my memories are all jumbled up, but... I burned my hands before the envelope collapsed, didn't I?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think you did. How is
3: that possible? How could the hatch have been that hot before the plasma exposure?
4: I don't know. Maybe the room was absorbing heat faster than the rest of the ship, even before the envelope buckled. Or maybe... Maybe what? Maybe the captain was right. Maybe the universe is big and strange and full of things our simple human minds don't or can't comprehend. And now, maybe Nihilus Holmes is one of them.
0: of Space is a sci-fi horror anthology created and produced by Charlie Caruso O'Neill. It is an affiliate of Law of Names Media. You can find more information at voidus.space/lawofnames.com or on our Twitter at Devoid of Space. This episode, Prominence, was written and directed by James Big and edited by Kale Brown. It featured the voices of...
5: Yuma was played by Alice Kira.
2: Captain Nilas Holmes was played by James Big.
5: Minka Chai was played by J.D. Jackson.
3: Cyril Gross was played by Theodore Monk.
4: Sylvega Kedvich was played by
0: Aaron Suri Stearden. With additional voice work by Kasha Mika. The music was written by Michael Flytag, and the logo and episode art was created by Cassidy Cruz O'Neill. Remember, this space is anything but safe.